That's usually the response when I get up to preach. It's, that's, that's pretty right on cue. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, I've, uh, I've had cataract surgery, uh, some of you know, a month ago or so ago, and, and um, uh, things are going well, except my doctor wants to see me one more time before we adjust and get another prescription. So I, I need glasses still for reading, but when I look out here, I can see you just fine, and when I put them on, you're going to be kind of blurry, but I still think I need to do this. So sorry to make such a spectacle of myself here as I would start with those comments. And, you know, I, I, I have been uh, wearing these, so I'll probably be looking at you like this some part of the time. But I'm running my 5Ks. I, I wear glasses uh, for the distance and keep me going the same direction. And, and it works just fine. Uh, Except when it rains, you know, it's very discouraging when you've got glasses on and it rains because, you know, it's hard, it's hard, um, it's hard to be optimistic with misty optics, you know. <laughs> and so you knew that already as well. And so now we'll get back to serious things. And that, that song that, that we just sang, thank you, Jim and, and Mary for, uh, Marianne for singing, for leading us here. But that's a, the uh, hymn that I chose to, to start with today. That refrain, I, I find, goes through my mind a lot uh, since 1970 when God saved me. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Huh? Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. And I would ask you again, do you believe that? Do you believe that he is coming? And it may be today even. Jesus lived and he died and he rose from the dead and he's coming back to rescue his own. And are you ready? Are you ready for him? We're going to end today with communion. And, and as we take the, the bread and the cup, participate, Scripture says that we declare his death until he comes. He, we declare his death, a vicarious substitutionary death for those of us who believe. He died for our sins that we might live for his glory. And that we, res we celebrated Resurrection Sunday a couple of months ago, but we experience Christ's resurrection presence and his power every day. At least we ought to. And he has given us a great commandment. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. And the best way that we can love our neighbors is to tell them the truth about Jesus, that he is the only Savior of the world. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so he also gave us the great commission to go into all, go into, to all the world and preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, and to go into all the world and make disciples of those who repent and respond and believe on him. And in loving our neighbors, in loving our neighbors, do we tell them the truth about Jesus? Not just the people we live next to, the people that we run into day by day by day. Those are our neighbors. Do we tell them the truth about Jesus? Are we doing this? Do we still have a desire to be his ambassadors? What we say we believe ought to affect how we behave. 
You know, don't tell me what you believe. Tell me what you do, and I'll tell you what you believe. It's possible to say we believe a lot of things, but those things don't make their way out in in our behavior. Well, the gospel writer Luke ends his letter by recording the last words of the Lord Jesus to his disciples. And you want to turn there in Luke chapter 24. These are his last words, and and, uh, we can conclude that what he said was freighted with meaning. What he said was freighted with urgency. And he tells his disciples what to believe and what to do. And it all had to do with him. In all of our loving our neighbors and telling them the truth, we can never, never talk too much about the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 44. Luke 24, 44, and he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them, And it came about that while he was blessing them, he parted from them. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Would you bow for a moment as we would come before God's throne of grace and commit this time to him and his word to him? Our eternal God and gracious Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your patience with us. You know us through and through. You know our frame. You're mindful that we are but dust. Thank you for taking thought of us. And even as we were sinners, you demonstrated your love for us that while we remained in this sin, Christ died for us. And Father, help us to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to continue to desire to be your ambassadors as as a forgiven people, not because of our good works, but because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. And so give us ears to hear today, perhaps words and passages that we know pretty well. But Father, would you give us a heart to allow you to cut deeply we might be, be exposed to things that we are not obedient in, that we desire again to walk with you and to honor you, looking unto Jesus, looking for his appearing. And we come now and commit our time and ourselves afresh because of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, after Jesus rose from the dead and before he ascended on high, he reminded his disciples again that the things written about him in the Old Testament must Be fulfilled. And you see there in verse 44 again, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Uh, Whenever I read the 
the New Testament in the original language, I, I, I notice or I, I see it translated. I look for a little word that I mentioned here before from this pulpit. It's a little word pronounced day. Uh, D-E-E-I is the way we would say it in English. Delta, Epsilon, Iota is what it is. But it, but it always catches me because that little word, whenever I read it, I think there is an obligation. There is an ought there. This must, must happen. And that's what he is saying here again. What was written about him in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. No, no other option. What God, God says will happen will happen. And yes, Jesus was mentioned in the Old Testament. And he said, I and me many times in verses 44. And then in verse 46, he said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. So obviously he is referring himself as this prophesied Messiah from years before. There were over 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament and all of them were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All of them dovetailed into the person of Jesus Christ. And so as you look in your outline, repentance and forgiveness for sins, first of all, we see the necessity of Christ's Suffering, the necessity for his suffering. Verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. It's necessary, it was necessary that he suffered, that he came to suffer. And earlier in the chapter 24, the angels spoke to the women in the tombs, uh, at the tombs, and they said the same kind of thing. And you turn back to earlier in the chapter, Luke 24, and verse 5 will say, And as the women were terrified, Luke, Luke 24, 5, and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified the third day and rise again. There's that word day. It must happen. And the suffering, of course, is referring here to his crucifixion. And then across the page in verse 25, as Jesus is talking to the, the men on the road to Emmaus, we see in verse 25, and he said to them, to the, to the men on the road to Emmaus, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Was it not necessary? Yes, it was necessary for him to suffer. The Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament that as he would come, he would come as a suffering servant, not as a conquering warrior like the Emmaus Road man thought. In fact, when you're looking there in that, in that section, Luke 24, you go up to verse 20, and these are the men speaking, and they said, And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, to rescue Israel the people, the nation from Rome, that's what they had in mind. And no wonder, therefore, Jesus said, you foolish men, because they didn't believe the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. But he didn't come the first time to rule and to reign. He came to suffer and to die for sin and for the sins of his people. One of the people listening right there, of course, was, was uh, 
uh, with Peter, and, and, and Peter said, later on he wrote, For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. Christ died for sins once for all, that he might reconcile us back to the Father. There had to be the cross before the crown, and that's why he says, Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter his glory? And, of course, his suffering wasn't for his sin. He didn't have any sin. His suffering was for our sin, your sin, my sin. His suffering was a substitutionary atonement for our sin. And the most graphic and extensive description of this substitutionary atonement for us is in Isaiah 53. And of course, many of us are very familiar with with this passage. If you turn back there for a moment, just to review a couple of the verses uh, there in Isaiah 53, as we look at verse 4, again, this is the messianic prophecy of of, of uh, I should say it's the prophecy of the Messiah who is to come. Again, the suffering servant, not a ruling warrior. So we look at Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely our sins he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed, esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. And then the reminder again in verse 6, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But, But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. Here is a description of this suffering servant, God the Son, existing from eternity past, who would take on flesh and live as a bona fide human being and to die that hideous death on the cross and shed his blood for our sake, substitutionary death for us. And in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, He will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, we will see it and be satisfied. He will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. You know, it's easy to kind of scoot across these verses. Many of us know them very well. Maybe we memorize this whole chapter, but, but we ought to pause for a moment and understand what took place here. The suffering of the Lord Jesus, the suffering that he would satisfy the righteous wrath of the Father, and, but he suffered in our place. He suffered for us. Paul writes, he who knew no sin became sin, became the sin offering for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And may we never lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. When we sin deliberately or when we sin in a way inadvertently and realize what we've done or said or thought, 
And it's good for us not to just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, it's the way it goes. Only human, you know. Well, we need to rejoice, certainly, that, that in Christ our sins are forgiven, but we need at least every so often to remember the price that he paid. We should never lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. And, of course, we should never lose sight of the exceeding wonder of his grace as well as we walk on this earth and, and desire to be his ambassadors and to honor and, and worship him all of our days. Jesus said, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? This is Christ's sacrificial atonement for our sin. My servant, verse 11, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Not just their iniquities, but our iniquities. How amazing that is. But back in Luke chapter 24, again, verse 46. Luke 24, verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. It was necessary for him to suffer that we might be forgiven, but it was also necessary that he would rise again from the dead the third day. His resurrection was also necessary for us to be forgiven. Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, sin killed him, and he is of no help to us at all today. You can't have a biblical Christianity without the crucifixion, without the resurrection of God's Messiah, Christ Jesus. This was prophesied in the Old Testament, and Jesus said this was written about him, and that he had just fulfilled it. Looking at verse 44 again. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And of course it was just fulfilled in him as he had been crucified and now was resurrected. And for there to be salvation for anyone, the Christ needed to suffer and die for sin and then to rise from the dead to provide forgiveness for sin. And I would ask you again, do you believe this? Do you believe this truth? Uh, I'm not assuming everybody who is sitting in this building believes this, believing it as un- unto faith, unto, unto salvation. I trust that you are aware, as it's seeming to becoming more and more obvious, that there is an insidious universalism that is creeping into churches these days, even into some so-called evangelical churches. This is the idea that ultimately... Everybody will be saved. Jesus is a good way to go. Yeah, okay. But there are other ways as well. I know some people who professed Christ 30 years ago and now are beginning to buy into this universalism that, well, we don't want to be so critical. We don't want to be so judgmental. It seems that the only verse that unbelievers that I know who don't have any time for the Bible, they they know one verse. Judge not lest ye be judged. It's actually nauseating when I hear this. And and I've got to be careful that I don't react in the flesh. But realize it's only God can bring them to their senses to understand that we are to make evaluations. Yes, we are. And we are to proclaim the gospel which judges men's, men's sin. So... The exclusive crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ must be believed to be saved. 
And not only is it to be believed, but it must be proclaimed to all people. Verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Yes, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. And again, repentance is not a popular message these days. But this is Jesus speaking, and we are to believe and obey what he says. Remember at the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice came from the cloud. The Father said, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And Jesus said, repentance and forgiveness go hand in hand. And I would ask you again, have you repented from your sin and received forgiveness of your sin? Repent just means to change one's mind. Have you changed your mind about how exceedingly sinful your sin is and that only Jesus can forgive you now and forever? Do you believe in him? Do you belong to him? Until I was 24 years old, I believed in Jesus intellectually. But I lived like the devil and... I didn't belong to Jesus. I believed intellectually, but I didn't belong to him. In fact, I didn't want to belong to him until I was at least 65 years old. I actually said that to a few folks in those days. I had never repented from my sin and received him as my Savior and Lord. I believed in him intellectually, but didn't belong to him intimately. And then God sent someone, an ambassador, to... Proclaim Jesus and to proclaim the gospel to me in 1970. And, and in fact, one of the verses I know used is right across the page here in John chapter 1 where it says, And he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You notice that? It says that in Luke 24 that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. And then John later says that those who believe in his name, his name represents everything about him. And so I repented, and I received him as my Savior. It was only later that I realized that, that my repentance didn't save me. My repentance was just evidence, the fruit of a God at work in my heart to give me ears to hear and, and eyes to see. And then I began to proclaim the gospel on campus you know, you don't need a pulpit to, to preach. We know that, don't we? We're to preach the gospel. We don't need a pulpit to do that. We are to proclaim the gospel to any and everybody. In fact, I've thought about this over the last year or so, that, that in some ways I was more bold than in those first years than I am now, to my shame. But this passage, again, has rekindled desire to, to truly be his ambassadors and, and a, because the message must be proclaimed in his name. And if we believe in and belong to Jesus, that's our assignment then, to proclaim this. It is necessary to proclaim repentance and forgiveness in his name. Because forgiveness of sin can only come from and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would trust that the majority of us at least believe this morning that man's greatest need before a holy God is simply forgiveness. And it can only be found in the cross of Christ, only be found in the blood of Christ. 
In a few moments, we will share in communion. And when Matthew describes Jesus speaking that evening of the Last Supper, Jesus said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Only through Jesus can a person be forgiven for the penalty of sin. This truth is essential that we proclaim, even though, even though we're moving more and more in our own country, we're saying that Jesus is the only way to be saved before a holy God. There are some who will say that that is hate speech. It's incredible that, that we've come to that in our culture. There are some who say that's hate speech because it's, it's too exclusionary. And I would ask us, we better tighten our seatbelts as we walk with the Lord these days. And I would ask, are we ready to go to jail by proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Are we ready to die for believing this message and for belonging to the Lord Jesus? Well, let's decide today that it's a greater privilege than it is a peril to walk with Jesus and to talk about him, to proclaim repentance for forgiveness of sins in his name. And I tell you what, I would rather, I would rather be disliked by people because I talk about Jesus than to be liked by people because I don't talk about him. And I confess that I fall into that trap too often where I want people to like me and so sometimes don't want to talk about Jesus. Well, this is what the, the disciples did as they continued to proclaim this message. And, and as we would end here by turning to the sequel to Luke. Luke was the only one <clears throat> that had a sequel. And that's the book of Acts. And as you turn to chapter 5 in the book of Acts, you'll see this lived out in the disciples' lives. Chapter 5. <clears throat> by this time, Peter had already preached that there is salvation in no one else. No name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. But you, you look at chapter 5 and verse 27. Chapter 5, verse 27. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and intent to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33, But when they had heard this, they were cut to the quick and were intending to slay them. But then Gamaliel stepped in, and you jump over to, to the ending here in verse 40. And they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Is this our desire today and our determination to rejoice that we be considered worthy of suffering for the Lord Jesus? I would trust that so. What a privilege it is.
to walk with the Savior. What a privilege to be reconciled to him. What a privilege to come together as God's people to share together the, the bread and the cup representing the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I call communion a serious celebration. A serious celebration. It is serious. We are to reflect. We are to examine ourselves. But it's a celebration. We are to rejoice. That we can know our sins are forgiven, rebound for heaven, and the best is yet to come. So reflection and rejoicing go hand in hand. And I would just say one last thing, that if you're here today and, and you've never responded to the gospel, you've never repented from your sin, never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would ask you, even as you sit in the quietness of your own seat, that you would repent and you would confess to yourself, to the Lord, that, that you believe that Jesus died for you and that and therefore take communion and participate. There's no other place to go. And so we bid people to come, come and participate, come and participate because he is the Savior of the world. As we examine ourselves and as we come clean before our God and repent from our sin and confess our sin, but we let's, in, our, in all of that introspection, let's make sure that we are a rejoicing people, rejoicing in the grace of God. And so, man, I would ask you to come forward as we would serve and be served this morning.